The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Oh... Righty, hello everybody. Good evening. We are live with the Evangelical Dark Web, and we got a special guest for you tonight, and that is Jeff Wright. Um, Jeff Wright, you are the one of the people behind SBC Underground, if not the head honcho over there, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm probably the most active contributor, and I, I don't know. I've been there for a long time, so yeah. Another thing I've appreciated about your work is that you pretty much put put out like the I, I don't know what to call it but as far as like information goes you basically have the most documents and receipts on mark dever yeah I thought that was very useful when i was doing research on mark dever you know because he won a poll or now nah, i think it was someone who is a um, subscriber behind evangelical dark web really wanted me to do research on mark dever and it's like you had all these receipts uh it's it's very interesting because the way I look at him is, is like, I kind of think he's like, you know, a mafia boss of false teaching. And then everything underneath of him is, you know, the false teachers underneath of him with Jonathan Lehman being his conciliary. So I think that's apt. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of how I viewed that. But because he won't do, you know, he won't do the murders, so to speak, you know, he'll have the underlings do all the, the crime, but he's up top benefiting from it all. It operates like a mafia nine marks does uh, as well. Capitol Hill to some degree. They really Um, trade on loyalty too. I mean, that, that is a major uh, coin in their, in their, uh, and uh, I think you're onto something. uh, Yellow moth would like to greet you by saying Jeff Wright is way better than Jeff wrong. Gosh, I've never heard that before, man. Oh, really? (laughs) I thought it was like, no, no, Jeff was, yeah, yeah. Jeff wrong was, uh, an easy go-to insult all the way since middle school at least. So, yeah. So anyway, we are live on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and the Twitter sphere. But I think the only place I can really interact with you is YouTube and Rumble. So if you're in the chat, uh, hit hit up the chat. We will be interacting with the chat tonight. Uh, we got a lot of uh, little stuff to cover that definitely amounts to a quality live stream. And we got some pretty late developments our recent developments before the planning of the stream on the G3 conference and just the stuff and the drama, the unforced drama that's going on there. Uh, So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, So where, where to begin Uh, the SBC stuff should be kind of, you know, there's a lot of little stuff going on with the Southern Baptist convention, um, but we did have, some major developments on the lawsuit front. And I wrote this article last night, and this is a pretty rough time for Southern Baptists. I would say, I just think somehow uh, Bart Barber is actually worse than Ed Litton. Yep. That's exactly right. It's because uh, Bart actually has some degree of aptitude uh, in terms of 
rhetoric and and charisma. He knows how to play up the oh shucks, good old boy stuff. And he, so, he's got the cow named Annie and Lottie, right? The cows, right. right? So they are much more comfortable to trot him out there and let him stand on his own two feet than they were with Ed. I think there was kind of this need to protect Ed and not let him get uh, out of his depth. And that need to protect, yeah, the biggest simp that Ed Litton had was Bart Barber. Right, right. They're all kind of on the same team, but but Bart can. He was the biggest, even defending the 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 plagiarism stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Did he uh, did he liken it to one of the uh, the gospel writers? You know, using similar material from other gospel writers, it's it's nearly blasphemous. So there's a lot of little stuff. Bart Barber appointed a new woke committee. And I've already done the video on that, um, but you, do you have anything to add on that story? So well, we have the cooperation task force or cooperation committee. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, the brainchild of Ben Cole, who is sort of the guy who makes all the people on the progressive side of the SBC dance. They're not, they're not super competent in and of themselves, but but Ben has some real chops. And so what he did with that committee is create a shadow EC. Um, a, a shadow executive committee and the long-term plan they've made it clear Jared Wilman and he did a spaces not too long ago super clear that not only are they going to use this to to kind of ram through the egalitarian push or whatever other leftward issues they have but they hope to long term be able to remove the credentials from any dissenting or criticizing voices and so if you if you look at the platform and and Ben Cole kind of standing behind them making them dance there you can't get in their way you can't get in their way and stop what they want to do to move the convention leftward and they're also going to try to make it where you can't even criticize them it's a pretty ambitious play but they've stacked up a lot of wins so i don't guess i i blame them for going for the whole pot well i'll have a a strategy session with you because it seems like you're one of the people that understands a little bit more about the strategy of what's at stake here and how to stop it than you know say certain organizations like the conservative Baptist network who I don't think they've been serious at all. Uh, well, I have, time. I have good friends there and I appreciate them, but I think they, they think it can be done through breakfasts and uh, traditional voting. And I just, you know, I've just, we've taken too many losses in the last couple of years for me to think that that strategy can, can work. So it's not that that strategy doesn't work, but what are you saying at these breakfasts and, yeah, what are you saying? Like, what is your message that you're going to convey at these social gatherings? Like, that's sure. kind of their issue is they don't have a message. They sure. don't have a coherent message because they yeah. don't want one. And yeah, and again, it's my issue, I guess. Yeah, I think they, I think they are aiming at really good stuff, but I think the approach of getting people into the room and kind of rallying the troops with some talking points, it's just proven that it's not going to work over the last couple of years. And, you know, particularly when you're fighting a group that is in absolute control of the microphones and the platform in the annual meeting, it's it's just not going to work. And they do the shady blackout on the microphone thing at the most important time. The microphones need to be on. So uh, shady stuff. So let's just get back to this article. This is the latest story out of the Southern Baptist Convention. And there's a court ruling out of South Carolina. And this court ruling is a denial of a motion to dismiss um it's not a federal court but it you know this is important because these are the same arguments are gonna gonna that they're gonna appear in every single court case related to this topic Absolutely. and this 
this topic's the actions, the alleged actions, I should say, of a creepy youth pastor. Um, this is the long-term play. Make the it? SBC one organization right. so you can bleed them all out together. I mean, this right. is closer to, was it Mel Tucker's the coach of Michigan State? Oh, football? yeah. This yeah. is closer to a Mel Tucker situation. It's not actually sexual abuse, um, but it's more of a Mel Tucker situation, uh, inappropriate Skype call that, you know, you can hang up on anytime and then inappropriate hugs al allegedly happening as well. Um, so that's the, that's a situation that's going on here. And, you know, Jane Doe here is suing the SBC for damages. And the claim here is that, you know, the SBC had a duty of care to train churches and to vet candidates and pastoral candidates for churches here. So Jane Doe alleges SBC and state conventions can and do exercise substantial control over local church operations. Now, I think she's actually right, but this is in practice, but not in policy, um, because you got people like Kevin Ezell that have a documented history of trying to exercise control over local churches and as well as local conventions and state conventions as well. So uh, I, I think there's truth to that, but that do ultimately doesn't impact the hiring decisions or whether, you know, you're training someone who's a creepy youth pastor to not be a creepy youth pastor. Right. And the fact that Kevin Ezell will buy influence and buy loyalty with cooperative program dollars does not indicate that every SBC church is somehow centrally aligned under a, uh, you know, this uh, umbrella organization that's telling them what to do. The problem is the, uh, the bad guys, the Ezels of the world, the Bart Barbers of the world, their team have found it convenient to try to shield themselves from personally uh, damaging legal issues by claiming so. Russell Moore did this as well. And so what they've been happy to do is tra uh, trade the, the legal protections that Baptist Polity authentically off offers. We're, we're independent congregations. They've been happy to trade that before the courts for the chance to be able to say, I'm protected by clergy law. I don't have to talk about this shady stuff I've been doing. And this is, you know, the courts are taking them up on it because the people who are filing lawsuits know there's money to be made. A lot of money to be made. I mean, lawyers are sinking their teeth in the SBC, and it's it really is bleeding the SBC dry. Yeah. So last week, the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee announced layoffs, and they apparently have a pretty large staff as it is. Yeah. But, you know, it's not insignificant that they're having layoffs. That, that's a sign of – and then there's all other signs of cash burn, and they don't have – like, they're, they're bleeding cash. And you can see a foreseeable time in which they run out of cash. Uh, it's going to be like within the next two or three years, they're going to be out of cash. If that long. Yeah. If that long. If even. Yeah. Yeah. So at the last, for you know, any of your viewers who don't know, at the executive committee meeting before the last annual meeting, they use the words unsustainable to talk about the outflow of cash. I mean, there's, you know, they're settling, they're paying out, they're doing all this stuff. Uh, what they will tell you through their propaganda arm, Baptist Press, is that, well, you know, inflation is really uh, eating into us and, and it's taking the cooperative program down. What's happening is 
good churches are realizing, oh my gosh, they're trying to put us on the hook for all the crazy things that the platform and their buddies do, like Johnny Hunt, right? Um, they're going to try to put us on the financial hook for that. We don't want anything to do with that, so we're out. And they're spending money like crazy trying to cover all their woke priorities. So, um, Ironically, you know, Johnny Hunt might have a pretty good case against the SBC. I mean, if he's telling the truth. Um, oh, more power. You know, I, I'd love that. I'm, I'm happy for them to uh, I'm happy for them to have to face the consequences on that with Johnny. All I'm trying to say was, is he didn't actually do uh, he, he wasn't a sexual abuser, but he was labeled as such. Right. And my, that, my, my point in bringing him up is he was working for the North American Mission Board. You know, there's supposed to be all this cover up of sex abuse in these local churches. Yeah, right. The 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 stuff that they found out in the investigation is that, oh, lo and behold, a North American Mission Board employee was involved in some stuff he shouldn't have been. But yeah, somehow, that's the only thing they found out. Yeah. Somehow that means all the rest of us have to pay for being negligent as if we were the negligent party. Yeah. And, and then they testify under oath that the uh, sex abuse task force report didn't find anything and isn't legally, you know, and uh, up to standard. Like they, you know, the testify is it's not admissible. So that's what they want to argue. Like we have this, you know, document created by lawyers, but because lawyers are qualified to do investigations apparently. And at the end of the, you know, they're, you know, like police officers, but, um, but no, it's not admissible in court, despite the fact that it was published by a law firm. So here's a, we're going to read two paragraphs out of the um, motion to deny. And it says during the hearing, defendants argued jurisdiction should be declined because Jane Doe's number two claims would inevitably require a court to rule on the existence or propriety of the autonomous but cooperative relationship SBC claims to have with local churches and conventions. However, after reviewing the complaint and documents presented in connection with the motion, it does not appear the specific misconduct Jane Doe number two alleges will implicate any actions that those SBC has acknowledged it may take in interacting with local churches. The obligation obligations Jane Doe 2 alleges SBC slash SC Baptist undertook but violated include duties to investigate allegations of sexual misconduct and counsel local churches concerning sexual misconduct, enact reasonable policies to prevent sexual misconduct and train local churches regarding the handling of misconduct violations. And again, I don't think the churches have the duty to investigate these things. Churches aren't equipped to investigate crimes. Right. That's what police are for, is right. investigating crimes. You wouldn't ask a church to investigate a murder. And that's not a, their duty to investigate a murder before handing it over to police. That doesn't make sense. So this is the next paragraph in the thing. So the, plaint so the plaintiff is arguing that the SBC has a duty to essentially police tens of thousands of churches, something it is ill-equipped to do. Yet Bar Barbara has said as much in the past. So this is the next paragraph in the motion to den uh, the denial is based on these statements of the now SBC president, it does not appear that any taking of these alleged actions would violate the SBC's claimed role as an autonomous organization. One, Mr. Bar, uh, that's a footnote was the one. Uh, Mr. Barber has stated that the autonomy principle in no way prevents churches from advising one another, critiquing one another, or establishing or withdrawing fellowship from one another. 
Bart Barber, uh, and uh, Mr. Barber went on to say, SPC can affirm local church autonomy while putting in place robust practice or ro a robust process for determining the truth about the about allegations that member churches have dealt recklessly with cases of sexual abuse and then taking action upon the truth we discover. Mr. Barber then went a step further by stating SBC can affirm local church autonomy while disfellowshipping congregations who persist those who have abused survivors of sexual misconduct. Thus, even except even accepting for argument's sake that disputes over SBC's autonomy position could compel courts to decline jurisdictions in some instances, this case does not pre present any such dispute. So that was a May 22 blog post that uh, Bart Barber wrote that was used against the Southern Baptist Convention in a lawsuit because the Southern Baptist messengers were dumb enough to elect Bart Barber. Well, and they've done these things as well. Like when we apologize for sexual abuse or we apologize for racism, you know, before any of us were born, all that stuff. This current group of hirelings has kind of um, used the, the advantage of being on the platform and emotionally manipulative rhetoric to steer messengers, some of whom are, are paid to be there to vote in favor. I mean, the, you know, it's not like this is all a group of innocents. Um, but they, they've used it to manipulate these people into making action after action that says we have corporate responsibility. And the fact that Barber's blog posts and tweets and whatnot are now being recognized uh, in, in the court of law is just, it, it's hard to overstate how significant that is for the SBC. We live in a world that doesn't really care to understand religious organizations if they try to, they think everyone is like the Roman Catholic Church, some central leader, everything flows down from him. Uh, that has never been the case for Baptists. But this group of hireling leaders uh, has done everything they can to say, no, that's exactly how it is. So please take all of our money. And then when you have kingmakers like Kevin Ezell, it just furthers the notion that, hey, this is a top down hierarchy. Yep. Because yep. he's been, you know, FBC Naples is a classic example yep. of him trying to interfere with the local church's uh, autonomy. He tried to install a woke pastor into a not woke church, and the members ultimately got organized and got the, enough of a threshold to thwart his uh, confirmation, uh, whatever. Uh, Influence, yeah. Uh, Confirmation as a pastor. I don't know what the oh, vote's called. Yeah, yeah. Confirmation sounds so Catholic when I say it out loud for this. <laughs> Installation? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they got they got enough to, I think it's like an 80-something percent, and they got the not, like the 20% needed to not get, uh, what's his name, Marcus something. Um, yeah, Marcus something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, Marcus something. So he, and then, you know, they went after those church members for that. So it's oh, yeah. not a happy story. Not in FBC Naples, and not all the people went on the record uh, who were harmed by that instance. So yeah, so there are stories that have yet been unpublished. I've I've tried to kind of chip my lot in to say these need to go on the record, but some of the stories coming out of the congregation out of that congregation Yellow are says horrifying. Uh, Yellow Moth says 
order ordination is the correct term. But I'm like, is, he might have already been a pastor, so I don't know. If yeah, that really works. You know, we think of ordination as saying one church telling another, "This man has gifts and callings that would be profitable." We think to another church to serve in ministry. Um, that that is a slightly different. I mean, I get where he's coming from, but that's slightly different than saying we want to hire you as our pastor. Yeah, and the congregation voting on that. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the uh big update from the sbc and that's going to have significant ramifications because they lost that fight in south carolina yes the precedent really only applies to south carolina but a good lawyer is going to see all these lawsuits against the sbc and use them against use this motion against them in the in the future motions and you saw and while reading it you saw the mcraney lawsuit was mentioned in the um motion to deny the dismissal. Yeah. So the McRaney lawsuits mentioned. So all of these lawsuits against the SBC are fair grabs um, to be used. And well, they're becoming um, part of a legal consensus about the nature of this. Exactly. Right. I mean, we're, we're a legal system that, that leans on precedence. And so what one court decides, even if not formally connected, will inform is likely to inform as likely as anything to inform the next court's decision. So, I mean, stare decisis is more important than scripture for lawyers. Yeah. Although stare decisis is different than case law. Um, stare sure. decisis is what our founders had in mind, you know, cause that just means precedent. Sure. And then case law is where a court's ruling becomes law somehow. You know, they didn't vote. It wasn't voted upon. It's a Supreme court decision that becomes law of the land. Like that's, anti-american uh that's so. what we have to deal with though it's the it's the uh, hand we've got it, in front of us exactly so when people want to worship the constitution which we'll get into in a minute with the whole you know g3 anti-christian nationalism spiel when people want to worship the constitution just remember they glaringly left out the a prohibition against judicial case law which state constitutions did not or at least not all state constitutions sure. like massachusetts even has that sure sure the earliest ones tend to have the best constitutions at the state level uh, have you, know? you read the maryland constitution uh no i've not i mean i live in maryland and most marylanders have never even I, I don't i've never read the whole thing or even the whole abridged version but you got some pretty based lines like it is the duty of all men to worship god is in the maryland constitution sure sure uh you know when not you allowing at- atheists in public auth- office is in the maryland constitution that can't be known. That can't be remembered. That's just draconian Christian nationalist stuff, right? Exactly. So, you know, Christian nationalists, you know, are so evil, but it's like, man, we founded this country. Like Thomas Paine was a hated figure. Um, yeah, well, go look at Rhode Island, which is held up as this like, oh, it was all pure religious freedom. And William whatnot. Rogers. Yeah. Their constitution says the existence of the colony or the state that it eventually becomes is for the conversion of the pagans. Um it, it, it's just lunacy. You can't read the historical documents and think that uh, post-war consensus makes any sense. Although Baptists became very bad on religious freedom prior to the post-war. Um, if you read the Baptist Faith and Message 1925, this nonsense is in there. This William Rogers taken to the next levels in the BFM 1925. And it's like that that faith statement is such a downgrade from the 1833 that the SBC was built on. And it's anti-reform. So you can't be yeah. reformed and sign on to that uh, faith statement. Yeah, we'll keep walking back, right? I mean, for my, my for my purposes, 1689 is where the conversation should should be. 
it, um, it got better. Like the the S uh, was it the BFM 2023 now is actually an improvement. Well, it's a two thousand right. So the sixty three was kind of the low point because they wanted to pit Jesus against his word, right? Jesus is the chief interpreter of his word, which is how the liberals always are like, oh, Jesus would never be mean or whatever. And the 2000 fixed a lot of that. But wait and see. You just said the 2023. That well, because they had a slight amendment to it. So yeah, I guess it's a new version. Right. And they're going to crack that open very soon. Very soon they're going to crack that open if they can get what they want because they will formalize it. You know, the SB, the, the bad faith message doesn't address it right now is the rhetorical line but they will make the Baptist faith and message address it soon. And you'll have to hold the line on the version they wrote. It, you know, the, the rhetoric is always a power play, never has anything behind it other than put us in power. I think I want to address this. Um, first, most Baptists would tend to be Calvinistic, but you know, the reformation, I would say, first of all, the reformation did not start with uh, Martin Luther. If anything, it might've started with, you know, John Haas. Um, because Luther was just the one who got the Reformation off the ground. And then secondly, it didn't stop with Calvin either. So I don't think the Reformation started with Luther, but it didn't stop with Calvin either. So the Reformation keeps continuing. So, you know, Sem Semper Reformanda is, you That's know, right. what some other uh, discernment bloggers like to have as their signature. And it's always reforming, always making sure you're going back to, um, first principles of scripture and growing with it. And then Yellowmouth follows that up with the superior theology. I don't know if I stole anything that you wanted to say, if you wanted to tackle that. No, I mean, that's exactly what I say. I, I, I think he's got a point that like most reformed people will see pedo baptism as essential. I think because they misunderstand our, you know, reformed Baptists understanding of the covenants, but we do keep reforming, right? We, we just carried on the project that they, uh, they left off. Right. And, you know, I will agree that the Anabaptists were kind of the bad guys back then. Right. But Anabaptist was kind of this dumb. It's honestly Anabaptist as a term among the reformers is a lot like Christian nationalism today. Anything that the people in power don't like, they dumped into Anabaptist. And so Anabaptist could be this scare term to just everybody who broke with the magisterial guys was basically Munster. And it's just not that's just not accurate when you read their own writings. Right. I, I, I'm not saying all the Baptists were like, I think John Smythe would have been uh, one mm -hmm. of the people that kind of distinguished Baptist from Anabaptist. Sure. But I, I don't think the Baptists were hated because of the Pado or the Credo Baptist of Pado Baptist debate. Although there was some sense that, hey, if my child dies before a confession of faith, they're going to hell type of debate. Um, but it was largely because this is the 16th century Germany. And this is the height of Ottoman power. They're invading Central Europe. And you got a bunch of pacifists who won't take up arms to defend their homeland. Yeah. Which which one's going to make you hate, you know, the Anabaptists more, their theology or their citizenship? Well, their I, lack of good citizenship. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. I think it's certainly part of the pie chart. But remember, too, that the tax rolls were generated from baptismal records of infants. So the state's ability to know who they could extract money from uh, depended upon the church baptizing infants. And a lot of those magisterial guys were, uh, you know, in, they needed to accomplish their reforms through, particularly Zwingli, through the, uh, the magisterium. And so once they start seeing these guys cutting off their tax rolls, uh, it's, 
you know, state's not going to tolerate that very long. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And we could also talk about how, like, you know, the views on Mary needed to get reformed. Like we need to get the Catholic church influence out of uh, early Mariolatry out of the church. I mean, obviously for those who don't know, the Catholic church adopted two dogmas officially of uh, their doctrine on Mary, uh, immaculate, Immaculate Conception and Bodily Assumption, those were adopted well at hundreds of years after the Reformation, and then whatever else are, is on top of that. Uh, so that wasn't the case, you know, during the Reformation, but as far as, you know, people believing perpetual virginity and mother of God, two things which draw a straight line to co-redemptrix, which is not official yet, but give it 50 years. Right. 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 Um, yeah, you can draw a straight line to that. So the, the Reformation wasn't done. Uh, so anyway, I, I want to float this idea to you because you're a Southern, you're a Southern Baptist pastor, right? Yeah. Uh, so and an active messenger, I guess, at the, on the floor. And I don't see a strategy or I see one strategy that could possibly work to move the SBC or actually at least slow down the SBC's decline. And that is the Mueller gambit, as I call it. Okay. So it's going to be in Indianapolis in 2024. Indianapolis is actually closer to Louisville, Kentucky than Nashville was, meaning you're going to have the Al Mueller crowd able to show up for sure. like they did for Nashville. They just didn't show up enough to defeat Mike Stone or actually it was Ed Lydon that came in second place in the first ballot in Nashville. So the conservative Baptist network crowd needs to get behind Mueller leverage their vote to get appointments onto committees because and the argument for this and then this is you know me voting or me saying that you need to vote for a wolf because the wolf will actually treat you kindly you know you're going to get some appointments without Mueller as opposed to getting zero with uh whoever follows barber yes so you get some appointments or zero appointments because you're going to lose either way yeah. Yeah. So that to me is the only strategy. And this is the time to pull that strategy because the location's Indianapolis. And then you yeah. need to have as a first vice president someone that's from the state of Indiana. Oh, yeah. Be Don't wonderful. be nominating Dusty Devers from half a country away, or actually Oklahoma and Louisiana aren't that far. But you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. in that state. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. No, I think that's reasonable. In fact, last year, I don't have an in into Dr. Moeller's office, but everyone who was like six degrees of separation from him, I was telling them a version of what you just said. He and the uh, CBN guys needed to to find consensus and become, you know, just partner up and say, look, we uh, we think the problems are bigger than what divides us as, uh, you know, the, the constituencies we represent and we're running, you know, we're running together. I don't know that it'll ever happen, but I see the wisdom in a play like that. It's kind of saying it's bad enough that uh, even the Calvinists and the anti-Calvinists are thrown in together. And I think they might have enough voting mass, particularly, like you said, if you can bring a local element with it. 
Yeah, the uh, the obvious math is that in Nashville, if you combine Mike Stone's vote and Al Mueller's vote, you wouldn't have had Ed Litton. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's the obvious math. Um, the less, you know, the the other thing is that all the CBN types are cozying up to Al Mueller, and it's like he was kind of part of the problem this entire time. Uh, why are you cozying up to him? What What's the deal here? But I'd say if we're going to cozy up, let's just it, go all together. Yes, that, you know? and that's that's where the switch comes. It's like, well, if you're going to do this, do it right. Yeah. If you're going to yeah. play the game of politics, if you're going to play the game of thrones, win. Yeah, and I honestly, legitimately, for the criticisms you would level, level at Dr. Moeller, he was probably the primary author of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. One of the few times I've seen him go to a microphone as a messenger to defend a statement is when he went uh, two years ago to say, I was there when we wrote it. I know what we meant when we talked about women pastors. I've, I'm, you know, I've yet to see him kind of push all his cards to the middle of the table and I keep waiting for it. Like what, what do you keep in your powder dry for, man? This is uh this is pretty close to crisis time. And uh, we could use now it. it could sabotage uh, Southern Baptist theological seminary in that you get a worse or, incompetent president after him because al Mueller's not incompetent like i think some of these guys just don't strike me as super competent like and you could tell in their like reports at the thing it's like this guy's telling stories because he doesn't have anything because his numbers suck and you know he doesn't want to say that so he's just going to tell a story a feel-good story so it's, it's like stuff like that you can kind of tell um al Mueller actually gave a very compelling you know he pointed out a problem is that there's going to be a drought of pastors and he actually raised that concern. So I thought that was actually pretty uh, mature on his part. I mean, SPT as, as its own kind of version of this, there's no real obvious successor to Moeller. All of his protégés basically have turned against him except for Jason Allen and Jason Allen. If uh, you know, if cloning is real, Jason's as close to a clone of, Dr. Moeller as possible in a lot of good ways, but I don't know that Jason Allen is going to want to leave Midwestern to go back to Southern Seminary. And so I love Southern. I want a strong Southern Seminary, but they don't have anybody in the pipeline either. The, the, the number two guy there is an Aiken. It's one of the, you know, a million Aiken uh, brothers who's running everything in the SBC. There's just no good. There's no good succession plan. Yeah, I, I kind of noticed that uh, Danny Aiken became kind of like the second most powerful figurehead. I mean, Bart Barber's, he's got the power and he's wielding it in ways that Ed Litton never did as president. I think, But Bart he's taking marching orders. None of that. I think he's now the second most powerful person in the Southern Baptist Convention. Danny Aiken might be downgraded to third if I were to do a power rankings of that. Uh, they're both power. pulling his chain, though, man. That guy's not operating on his own two feet. He's getting orders from behind him for sure. And I mean, honestly, Aiken is probably eclipsed Moeller a while back in terms of influence. But, yeah, uh, I think that happened in two thousand or twenty twenty one when Al Moeller lost. It was clear that Danny Aiken and Aiken had went after him, you know, and wanted Ezell in. Um, but but Kevin Ezell has the money. The North American Mission Board has used their real estate speculation to build up this incredible purse. And so they uh, they are financially and stocks too, right, right. And so they're financially unaccountable, and they act like it. And that's why everybody goes to kiss Kevin's ring and gets his approval. 
I, I've called him the Phantom Menace of the SBC oh, yeah. because he is the guy. He is exactly that. He's the kingmaker. He's pulling the strings, and he had, he's basically groomed the last uh, umpteen presidents of the SBC. Uh, easily the last three. Um, I, I don't know the succession order uh, off the top of my head past Greer. So, okay, I'm glad we see some agreement that, you know, my idea of the Mueller gambit isn't entirely fringe. No. Um, but it, to me, it seems You're going like to have to bring logical, some kind of coalition together. It seems like a logical play because you have no options. You don't have numbers and you don't have messaging. So or you're, you're refusing to get good messaging. I, I should say, um, maybe, you know, you just need to treat discernment bloggers like wild dogs or whatever, feed us information and let us go after your opponents for you. That might be a smarter idea yeah. because we can't do all the oppo research. Um, you know, we I definitely put the first den Willie Rice's campaign by linking him to a docent research group and that, but you know, you can't rely on that. That's not ultimately what brought him down. That was just, you know, the oppo research that they should have done. Sure. Um, I, you know, we went after Al Mueller in 2021. We didn't even pay attention to Ed Litton. Like his ascension in the second place in that poll was a complete surprise. Sure. Um, I think that's where you start realizing how that. many people North American Mission Board are sending to the, but to the annual meeting. No one checked his website for a Trinitarian heresy. No, isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy? Conservatives get caught wrong-footed all the time because we're not out looking to dig up dirt. And so the bad guys who are doing it uh, either manufacture it or they find something that they can leverage. And and here's the thing. Women pastors is a, is a quotable idea that immediately resonates with normie SBC guys who want to believe that the Southern Baptist Convention was, you know, it's been conservative forever because we won the conservative resurgence. The right kind of messaging on the issue they're actually trying to wedge us with would activate normies, but we don't have a mechanism in place to kind of reach them. Back in the day, they would use state papers and they would travel around in buses and whatnot. Nobody's doing that now. And and Twitter isn't going to reach, uh, you know, the 65-year-old who still cares. So, we have we have messaging problems on multiple fronts. Yeah, so uh, I think that wraps up the SBC news. Although, again, churches with women pastors or pastors within churches with women pastors are on that cooperative cooperation committee that Bart Barber appointed, getting yeah. to decide whether churches with women pastors are not in cooperate <laughs> friendly cooperation with the SBC. So churches that should be kicked out logically get to decide the rules on whether they get to get kicked out or not. Yeah. So I mean, that, it, that is the time to the SBC fully is. entrenched in power and showing off. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, skip to G3. But first I want to say uh, smash that like button. That really helps with the YouTube algorithms. And uh, yeah, don't forget to support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's our Patreon like system. Uh, and that just gives you more access to more content freebies. Now, someone sent me an email cause I guess they're on my newsletter and they didn't like the fact that I had one article out of two, um, that was behind a paywall and they're like, unsubscribe me from this list. I'm like, well, you can unsubscribe yourself. That's how emails work. And then second of all, it's like, 
that article was behind a paywall because it's more sensitive, you know, strategy conversation. I don't want out there. That's some of the values that I uh, value that you get for being a subscriber. I'm trying to give you value for supporting a ministry. So, you know, someone didn't like that. <laughs> like, and they were new on the email list in the first place. So it was just, yeah. okay, well you haven't been around long, but Sometimes anyway, it, you know, like a loss can be a gain. You know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so there's a value proposition. You get more content is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Um, so with that said, let's talk G3. So there's there's been a lot of lashing out coming into G3. Like, you know, the last couple of weeks, they went hard after Christian Nationalist, uh, Josh Bice, Scott Annual, Owen Strand. Um, am I missing anyone? Virgil Walker loves to take little pot shots. Um, you know, he called, he recently called Dion Sanders cultural Christianity. Like that's cultural Christianity there. I was like, are you, are you serious? The guy who's bringing in Brittany Renner to speak to young men is cultural Christianity. Um, the guy who's having Lil Wayne on the, you know, pregame warmups, that's cultural Christianity. Uh, I was, he watching, a man, I, Kirk Cameron movie or something. Uh, uh, Kendrick Brothers. That's what I was trying to think of. Uh, <laughs> watching a Kendrick Brothers movie in the locker room or something. Like, uh, okay, he's not really an example of cultural Christianity, but yeah, that that. But that's all part of you know. They just love to take pot shots, and it's kind of impulsive because um, at Christian nationalism, I I don't. I mean, I think I know why. The reasons jockeying for power. And influence, mm -hmm. but I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm frustrated with a lot of the recent developments. Uh, Owen Strand, too, I think, is going to be the uh, he's going to be the biggest uh, focus of this discussion because he is. I would I would argue it's a scandal um, what he's been doing at G3 um, that has kind of undermined the entire ministry's annual conference this is their annual conference right this isn't like yeah. the semi-annual thing yeah um so there's like eight thousand people there which i guess is fewer than in some past years or maybe about the same um eight thousand's a lot i think they were projecting ten thousand but you know I, last count i heard was like eighty five hundred i've actually okay. got church members who are down there um here's the thing though uh, this controversy i don't think is going to cost them this year I think it'll cost them the next coming years, right? So I, I fully, I was fully prepared for them to say, hey, we've got the largest attendance ever. Uh, I don't know, maybe they will. I don't know their numbers, but I fully expected an announcement like that. But I think it's the next two or three years that this is uh, this nonsense is going to cost them. Yeah, I mean, especially when it these are unforced errors. Oh, Owen Strand, I and Owen Strand. Um, he used to be woke. I mean, if you look at him in 2012, he was woke. He was absolutely woke, um, woker than most. And then in 2018, 2019 is when he changes sides. And now in 2023, he does a revert. Yeah, it's been a stunning turn there. Um, now, I guess I should say I have considered myself or I've considered Owen a friend. We we don't hang out in person, but we have 
corresponded often. I've interviewed him, cheerleaded for him, particularly when he was in the SBC, doing the anti-woke stuff. Uh, to see him, I mean, man, it is a step-by-step replay of the Russ Moore playbook. Um, has been baffling, disheartening, uh, scandalous to use your term. It, you know, it's just bewildering. It, it's like G three is replicating the together for the gospel, TGC, uh, ERLC playbook, but somehow think they're in the superior position. What, what would you describe that playbook as? Because I don't think the ERLC has ever been effectively conservative. Right. Yeah, so the, Richard Land, I think, is an absolute liberal and a snake. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't know that because I wasn't paying attention to Richard Land back in the day. But, I mean, you start seeing these things come out where he's, like, hanging out for the World I Economic Forum that, and stuff. It's wild. Uh, you know, counseled a person to get an abortion based on yeah. the – or counseled a person saying getting an abortion is not wrong if the ER doctor insists that it will save a life. Like, an ER doctor knows what pregnancy is. Like, right. they really don't. Right. Um, ER doctors, broken bones, stitches – and. They don't sure. do they don't do pregnancies. That's why they have a different you know, the doctors that do pregnancies are in a different wing in the hospital. Sure. I would know because I've taken my wife to the ER while pregnant and they send you there. Yeah. Um, because yeah. they don't want to touch that. And yeah. and you know, any doctor that counsels abortion should be red flag raised immediately. And if you're in a p- political arm of the SBC, you should know these things because it's your job to know these things and the ethics part of the ethics and the religious liberty commission you should know these issues and be up to speed um and then obviously he was against uganda in 2014 which is major red flag uh and against them in 2023 as well also a red flag so um there's a lot there you asked Uh, about the playbook yeah so what exactly is the playbook because i i kind of see the rlc as kind of always being the bad or ineffective yeah yeah. the essential uniting element for all of these groups is to begin building their platform on the message that local church going Christians are some kind of problem. There's and so far it's always been racist, right? The local church growing church member is racist because he votes for Donald Trump. The local church going church member is a racist because he won't get on board with Ibram Kendi's anti-racism. Uh, the local church member is a racist because he's a closet kinist. Um, that's the that's the first sign that this is where the train is headed. Uh, and the, you saw that with Russell Moore after Obama got elected. It was like the local church members racist because they didn't vote for Obama. And yeah. then after Obama's elected, he's writing about Jesus having AIDS. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and being an, an immigrant and all these things, right? The local church is the problem because it won't embrace progressive political priorities and the way that they manipulate people. And it works. It works. Uh, And that's why they keep going back to it is by saying you're a racist. You're a racist. And uh, my tribe is terrified of anyone saying you're a racist and they will bend themselves into pretzels to do whatever they can to demonstrate they're not. It never works. You're always more racist. You, know, you look at conservative media, do you know how many black people have been propped up that are untalented? <laughs> but they say what white people have been saying for years, but it's just, you know, a new face saying it and they make millions of dollars doing oh. it because, you know, I mean, why do you think Candace Owens is a thing? If she were white, she'd be nowhere. See, that's uh, the kind of stuff I just don't, I don't, 
I guess I'm just not plugged into that. But what I am plugged into is an evangelical circles, man. If you call someone a racist, dude, for most of them, I think this is changing a little bit, thankfully. But for most of them, all of a sudden, you've got a hook in their nose to kind of lead them around where you want. And that's what Owen is trotting out here again. Yeah. Um, but this, it's not going to work because we have worked hard. Like we've made a lot of progress. I think one of the things that, and you see this with the election of Trump was that it took years. I don't even know how long, but basically the election of Trump solidified that the media was exposed. Like there is no neutral media. Yeah. You know, people that grew up on Walter Cronkite. And the idea, oh, we can trust the news on TV because it's reliable. Like uh, New York Times is fair and balanced and all that. And there's this mentality that, hey, people aren't biased in news reporting. And that's a lie. Uh, And people woke up to that in 2015, 2014, 2016, somewhere around there. People clearly woke up to it. And then institutions aren't neutral. So afterwards, we kind of need to wake people up to, hey, there's no more, media is not neutral. Well, institutions aren't neutral. Uh, Laws aren't neutral. The government can't be neutral. Neutrality doesn't work. There is no neutrality. So that's what we're in the middle of is unprogramming people from believing that, you know, the FBI is going to be a neutral institution or, you know, the Supreme Court is a legal institution, not a political one. So that's what we're kind of in the middle of waking people up to. And, and who knows what's uh, I feel like I had something for there's a next after waking people up to institutions, not being neutral. And, you know, that's kind of one of the vestiges that G3 seems to be wanting being wanting to hold on to, you know, the idea that government should be neutral with religion because Baptists are going to be drowned, Um, which, which, is farcical and the examples of which we have are examples because they weren't normal sure examples right well i mean outside of anglicanism and the king of england and stuff like that which set off the english civil war and and stuff like that because he was anti-calvinist that was dead on arrival for me because you know i love my presbyterian brothers i'm not afraid of them um but also (laughs) if i could stop training surgeries and I could get drag queens out of, uh, you know, the library, and I could get groomers out of public schools. I will take the risk of a Presbyterian trying to drown me. I will sign up for that today. Anytime somebody wants to slide that contract over to me, um, I I don't understand why people. You know, we live in a fallen world. Often you're picking from the least worst set of outcomes. Give me that set of outcomes, please. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna insist that's how the world will work, I'm willing to take my chances with also, that. Also. What are the numbers of Presbyterians or Pado Baptists and Credo Baptists? I'm pretty sure, sure Credo Baptists have a heavy outnumbering. We, sure. The numbers are so in our favor that they can't even get away with that if they try yeah. in the modern era. Yeah. So. God bless them. I'm just, I don't think a lot of them are going to try it, but I'm not afraid. But I would take that. I would take that threat over my neighbor's kid riding the school bus being told they need to go on puberty blockers. Sign me up. Yeah. I mean, it it can be selfish not to take that risk or that outcome over in a hypothetical scenario. So it, it, it's farcical because they're trying to use pre previous situations where Baptists probably would have been a huge religious minority. Um, 
and apply it into a situation where if anything, the Presbyterians are going to get banned for trying to dunk baby or sprinkle, sprinkle babies. (laughs) A lot of people about what baptism is. Um, Say, I, I understand the arguments for pedo baptism. I don't understand the arguments against immersion, mm. but that's just me. I think, you know, they're comparing it to oil. Like I think immersion is actually a stronger argument or a stronger case oh, for yeah, immersion than credo. than credo. But yeah. so the way, the means of which baptism is performed, uh, I, I'm also a fan of using real wine in communion. So uh-huh. yeah. I hear that. I hear that. So that doesn't freak me out. So, um, we have uh, so yesterday they had the pre-conference, and the pre-conference is what made the headlines. The headlines being the Evangelical Dark Web article. I don't know if anyone else covered it, but I think my article will be an opening salvo to other outlets covering it. And that is, um, they had a pre-conference, and basically Stephen Wolf was the target and labeled a kinist again, yeah. despite that being debunked. Hey, again. were you able to watch Owen give his talk? No, and if you look on the G3 Ministry YouTube channel, they live streamed it, but during what I assume was a portion of that stuff would have been going on, you just see their logo, and they they literally have like an 11-hour stream. Stuff happens in like the first two hours, and then afterwards is just their logo for seven hours. Okay. Like, so well, we were trying could to have watch- streamed it. Yeah. We but were trying to watch it to. and couldn't find it. Exactly. That that seems so um, indicative. They had a live feed about. up yeah, and then chose not to broadcast that. Yeah. So, so I, that, think that's, I thought that was shady. I, I was going to, I was wondering your opinion on that. Well, yeah, it looks sketchy as all get out. And to your point about, you know, your article being an opening salvo. Um, I've had people on my Twitter feed who I, who I love, who are friends, like, Hey, you haven't heard him preach his sermon. You don't know if these quotes are accurate in context. And I'm like, well, Actually, I've been listening to him for a couple months now. This sounds very similar. I know the context, but I need to hear the sermon. Could you please make it available? And that's when I think a lot of it, I think it's on the table. They won't make this public uh, because I'm betting in their own circles. People are going, this is kind of crazy. But if they do make it public, I think that's when the the floodgates open. So the word, what I hear is that the sermon itself is unrelated to the clip that has drawn the most uh, fire. Yeah. But that's the clip that G3 decided to run with. Right. That's right. the one that they decided to publicize. And we'll play the clip in a while. I have a clip loaded here. Well, and with the clip, there's only so many kinds of context that would justify it. Like if you, if you immediately before he gave the clip said, it'd be crazy if I said, or I would sound a lot like Russ Moore, the idiot, if I said, that might make it better. <laughs> but there's only so much context that could make this palatable. So backing up to the, pre, the, the pre-conference the event. So Yellowmont says, calling someone a kinist is the same as calling them a racist. The church is in, imitating the culture of 10 years ago. That's exactly right. I Kinnis think codes immediately to racist. Right. And they can't use the word racist because that will sound too woke. So they're trying to find a more technical term. That's right. And what really they're labeling as kinist is people who believe that ethnic preservation is good. And that, I think, you know, Stephen Wolf would probably say that it's good. And, you know, it's, you know, you look at say Victor Orban of Hungary, who gave the interview with Tucker Carlson, he talked about, Hey, you know, 
we in hung Hungary have preserved our people for over a thousand years, and that's good, yeah. actually. And people were celebrating that in Hungary like a couple days before that interview. So that's you know apparently controversial now to say that hey, preserving a people group's good, and that's controversy. That's kinism, and I, I'm obviously like I'm I'm not against interracial uh, dating or marriage. You know, sure. I, I, I it is. Who is? I've had my experiences going after different races of people. Uh, let's just keep it at that before well, I met my wife. I'm so, still saying, who in the Christian nationalist camp, who's not on the fringe, has any problem with interracial marriage? That's this big boogeyman that's trotted out. Meanwhile, Stephen Wolf is celebrating Clarence Thomas's marriage. It, it It's just insane to me that this kind of rhetoric works. I don't get it. Right. Uh, now... Even the Corey Mahler types, I'm not entirely sure. Sure, sure that they would say it's inherently wrong, although they bring up some sort of fifth commandment argument with this, although they call it a fourth commandment because they're Lutherans. Yeah, but, yeah, that would be the group I would think maybe maybe would say that. I haven't read the But I hear a lot of yeah. you know, supposed neo-Nazis have Hispanic girlfriends, <laughs> according to internet <laughs> yeah. memes. But yeah. even them, I, I think there's a poorly worded tweet but behind that a more fleshed out idea that's actually okay um maybe th there's an agenda behind pushing interracial marriage or relationships that is about trying to break up sort of a homogenous uh culture and you see that in hollywood like every hollywood movie now has a beta white male with a domineering black woman that is the relationship in like so many films now in hollywood well and the world economic forum has been incredibly clear yeah about what they want for the future of humankind so yeah that's absolutely right they're they're bad guys who are on the record saying we want to homogenize everything but apparently that's not allowed to be part of the conversation it can only be that these guys who think certain ethnic uh groups reflect god's glory there's some kind of bad dangerous racist i if you'll let me, the thing I've been trying to put in front of people is when you get to the vision of the church before Jesus' throne, it's every tongue and every tribe. And I'm old enough to have remembered when evangelicals were celebrating in the name of diversity, how you know gloriously multicolored the group around John's throne is going to be. But now, if you remember that, apparently you're a chemist. You know, you you've got some major underlying racial problem. What it ends up doing though is in, is indicting God. If he is the sovereign Lord of history, has preserved ethnic groups long enough to have them assembled around his son's throne. He's the Lord of history. He's preserving ethnic groups and he has gathered them up in the church around his son's throne. You're, you're ultimately going to be indicting God if you keep playing with this. You know, is somebody out there bonding consciences to say you can't date inter-ethnically? Inter okay, I've got a problem with that guy too. But that's not what's happening. It's taking the worst possible read, excluding anything that's contrary to the narrative, largely on Stephen Wolf, and then painting that brush across the church to say, oh, they're actually crypto-racists, crypto. which we've seen. Yeah. Um it, it, it's kind of interesting that a lot of the people that do this are, you know, dispensational in their theology. So it's like, oh, you support a certain, eth the existence of a certain ethnostate. Um, yeah. And 
but you know if christians you know if you know christians you know try to emulate that state that ethno state that you uh look up to so much yeah no they're racist and if mm -hmm. they try to do that I, I just think that's uh rather ironic um because you know i don't think it lends itself well uh now i, I now they try to make it a, uh an eschatology debate they try to make christian nationalism an eschatology debate and while i i believe you know my nuanced take is that i believe probably most people who are christian nationalists by if we did a venn diagram of people who accept the label versus people who believe in what christian nationalism is uh most of the people inside the you know beliefs and even label category would probably be dispensational hmm. now they're gonna have to that's my guess because i think that's majority of evangelicalism or at least a plurality maybe not majority but a plurality hmm. um but they will have to work out that hey you know zionism and christian nationalism aren't that uh compatible because i i think you know we can look to the fourth century and see christian rulers rulers not just constantine um and you know they didn't believe in uh you know they believed in christianizing the lands uh their their land their nation and i don't think that's compatible with setting with uh supporting a pagan state in the middle east i don't think that's uh supportable i don't yeah. Um, so they're gonna have to work that out, but yeah. there's a lot that needs to be worked out. The The problem is that it's all attached to these cultural dog whistles, right? So what you just said is probably going to end up somebody accusing uh, you of anti-Semitism. Andrew Torba says some things about the uh, Anti-Defamation League, and all of a sudden he's an anti-Semite. Um, the Anti-Defamation League has been up to no good for a long time. So always, always has been mean. The ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, if if they are associated with some kind of uh, particular ethnic group, pointing out they're doing evil stuff is not anti whatever that ethnic group is. It's anti evil. So, like, just take a minute, guys, and evaluate this according to a moral framework that looks like Christ and his kingdom. And you'll see pretty quickly the uh, the like, again, the accusations, the latent accusations of racism. They don't hold up. Torba's going after evil. Yeah, I, I, I like Andrew Torba. I'd love to have him on here. Um, I just don't have a means to contact him. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll direct message him on Gab, but yeah. you know, I'm sure he gets a lot of those. <laughs> uh, but he, I, I don't know him super well. We've we've corresponded a little bit, and he's always been approachable. I'd, I'd give it a try. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll definitely do that because as someone who likes, you know, who, who has a degree in entrepreneurship. I'd love to in, uh, I'd love to interview someone who was in Y Combinator and then left that uh, oh, to start yeah. his own thing. That's that's a very interesting story, and mm. that's kind of like an underrated testimony, in my opinion. Gotcha. Uh, See, I'm totally unfamiliar with that stuff. I'd watch I'd watch that interview though. Uh, it, yeah, if you are familiar with like a lot of major companies that have popped up over the years, a lot of them were Y Combo. Okay. So it's like this incubator that promotes a lot of that fast tracks a lot of businesses gotcha. uh I, I think you know maybe twitch might be an example of a a, a lot of companies uh gotcha. were y combo gotcha. um so that's uh would be interesting uh we will have some pretty good guests on in the future though i, I think we're on a good hot streak here uh because last week was charles haywood 
oh, uh, yeah. addressing G3 controversies with him as well as trying to understand foundationalism, uh-huh. um, which ultimately I'll stay in the Christian nationalist camp because I think our foundation on scripture is better, um, to be honest. But there's a lot of overlap because I think, you know, even coming from a historical perspective, you know, you're going to find the truth and the truth will align with scripture. So I think there's a lot of overlap for that reason. See, that's a that's a really interesting example of how crazy the rhetoric around Christian nationalism, excuse me, <coughs> is coming from G3. You know, Bice has this tweet about how Haywood is this driving influence. You know, I, I helped edit the statement on Christian nationalism. I stayed very uh, informed on this conversation. I'd never heard of him until... Uh, until I started talking about him. And so I started looking him up and I'm like, yeah, he's got some good stuff to say. So uh, Backwoods Belief is a podcast I'm on. We're trying to get him on there. I'm interested in the guy, but they're too busy chasing boogeymen uh, and not actually talking to the proponents of the position, which would keep them out of a lot of these own goals that they keep scoring on themselves. I, I mean, I mean, what's this? Michael O'Fallon um, was I think really gunning for Charles Haywood, you know, is this a competitor or something like that? Cause the dude had 15,000 followers on Twitter. I didn't know who he was. Sure. Uh, and, and until this uh, coordinated effort to discredit him or right. call him shampoo Soros by the James Lindsay, uh, Josh Bice and O'Fallon, I guess we're all three of them were part of that. And then I reached out to him after that. I'm like, okay, foundationalism seems interesting. I want to learn more. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, I clearly didn't go into that interview with a complete understanding of it. Maybe I would have gotten a C on a test, but you know, the whole point of that was, hey, I think there's some good stuff here. I want to clarify some questions and learn more. That's obviously not the attitude that G three has. Um, no, for comes- sure, that they've actively avoided having to actually deal with anyone. I think because they're fragile. I think because they know their argument can only exist in a very protected environment. Um, you know, initially I, that wasn't where I was at, but as time has gone on, I thought these guys just don't want to know because it would disrupt something that's convenient for them. And, uh, you know, their strategy is a loser anyway. Eventually the more you, you know, the more they talk, the more talks like Owens we get, the more people realize these guys haven't even done the basic reading. Um, they're self-defeating, but, uh, it, you know, it would have been better nonetheless to just reach out and start trying to pick the brains of the people you think uh, maybe are causing some trouble. It would have got them to better information a lot quicker. All right. So I, I want to move on to the clip heard around the world. Yeah. yeah. And that was, this is the clip that uh, G3 Ministries wanted to float of Owen Strand and the sermon that he gave. I hear that this clip is like a digression from the main point of the sermon. I've heard the same. Yeah. Meaning he went out of his way to make this point. Not that it was natural to the preaching of his sermon. And this is the, this would read as a woke preacher clip. Okay. It's not coming up well because it's one of those vertical images and it does not want to reformat, which is stupid restream. Um, so let me, I, I got to pull it up. Uh, you're able to see the screen? I don't see him yet. All right. Let me 
come back. Uh, Restream is acting slow. Oh, because I need to pull it up. Okay, so this is the... Let me full screen this. God does not love a merely white church in America. God loves a global people of all backgrounds and tribes. This is under fire today from different corners, but we confess it and will stand here come what may. God loves the global body of Christ. God. All right, so that is our woke preacher clip that we'll be discussing, I, I guess, for most of the remaining time. Uh, what are your opening thoughts on that one? Uh, he's flogging a straw man. There, there's nobody out there um, that uh, that is of any consequence in any way that's a threat to like the health of reformed evangelicalism or American society that's arguing God loves only the white church. This is such convenient straw manning. And again, it, it tracks and it, it pastes right on top of Russell Moore's rhetoric. This is what he did. Oh, I'm, I'm not the bad kind of Christian. All those other Christians out there, they're the wrong kind of Christian. You don't know it. They may even deny it, but they're secretly really racist, and they think God only loves the white church. Literally nobody's saying that. Nobody is saying that, and he's, he's Don Quixote. He's tilting at windmills. One of the things I've always kind of liked about Owen is that he's a grandiose guy. He's not afraid to go for – what you might call kind of cornball stuff that other people would be like, he'd be like, he takes this real high sounding language here. I, he did it here. Here I stand. I have full body chills about it. I mean, that used to be kind of uh, uh, a, a part of his appeal in the sense here. What you see is that this is a guy who has stuffed a straw man and is so valiantly riding out to war. And all that he's going to do is feed the people who hate the church, who will use him against Christians and say, see, this high-profile evangelical over here, he says you're all racist like we thought you were. Um, we can cite him against you. It, it, it's going to do no good for the kingdom whatsoever. Uh, yeah, and he's going after an imaginary enemy. Yep. And the irony is, I think two things. One, the people who are actually kinist would probably also support the existence of black people practicing kinism. Uh, yeah, sure. like they probably apply their logic to to you know, other groups. Hey, yeah, we stick with sense. our kind. You stick with your kind. We're, we all get along. Sure, and we can all get along that way. You know, and the bad stuff happens when you start mixing, like Tony Soprano saying to his, you know, to the black kid that her his daughter brings home that, hey, you know, I, I work with black people in crime, but you know, we don't let our daughters date each other mm -hmm. and stuff like that so gotcha. yeah i think they might have a tony soprano approach to interracial marriage but they wouldn't you know say hey those people can't get married or anything it's just more like not in my backyard not with our people so they create these walls um extra biblical walls but you know they don't say you know so these people applying that to the church say hey our church is white but you know you can have a black church if you want it's probably what a kenneth would say well, you know, it's interesting to me that even this is speculative because nobody's substantially reading the chemists enough to know what they would even say on the position. We're just kind of extrapolating it because we're guessing from the principles that have drifted over to us. Like, I mean, are they going to argue the curse of Ham? Like, sure. The, the sure. erroneous reading of the curse of Ham that the sure. Mormons believed in and stuff? Like, is right. that where we're going to? 
Could be. Go with us. But again, nobody knows because nobody's reading them, man. It, you know, Owen's up here like leading the charge against three guys over there on the far fringes. Man, get out of here, dude. If you're going to pick a fight, at least pick the fight with somebody who can actually, you know, pick pick the fight where it can be had, not with some straw man. This is dumb. It's beneath him. Yeah. But is it, though? Because I mean, it should be. It should be. He, he was woke 10 years ago, really woke 10 years ago. And my count. Uh, so the other thing, um, because, again, what would a kinnis actually believe about, you know, different groups and applying the logic for their own group to other groups? Uh, do they think that far ahead or not? The other thing is the white churches in America is probably the most hated church um, in America for sure, because we get we have to get lectured on how the black church is doing things so much better, despite bad theology, bad politics. Uh, and yeah, yeah, actually, those are the two biggies, I guess. But we have to get lectured on that. You know, we need to be like these Christians over here, those Christians over here, even though, um, you know, white evangelicals are the lone bulwark holding back the moral insanity in the United States is. Uh, Stephen Wolf once said, and people attacked him for that because right. he was complimenting white people. Right. As if we so, can't look at voting block, you know, voting decisions by demographics and see what he's talking about. Um, yeah, everyone who knows politics understood that. Yeah. Uh, the people who didn't understand that don't understand politics because, you know, it's like saying single white women or single uh, women will, will somehow vote conservative it's like no that it's never going to happen that is the most liberal voting block in the united statistically states statistically unable to find that person right that single white right. particularly liberal female just not going to do it and instead you, you know you got the most conservative demographic which is white evangelical protestant yeah right absolutely but here again so much of this is just predicated on on assuming stephen wolf is a monster and reading what he has to say over and against a more charitable reading for purely arbitrary reasons, right? It just, I assume he's a monster. So I'm going to take the worst possible read, even if a more charitable read makes much more sense. And it's what Owen's doing there too. Not only will they do that, they'll take the worst possible read, even if it's nonsense. Then they will ignore anywhere that he has checked, qualified, explained, elaborated on anything he said. It is, uh, it's a disgusting failure to represent your neighbor well. You know, James White is on that on that G3 ticket with Owen. And James has beat the drum for years about representing your opponents well, right? Represent them in the way that uh, they would say, yes, that's actually my position. G3 has been conscientiously avoiding approaching anything like that because their message is fragile. They can't, it cannot stand up to criticism or even the light of reality. It just frustrates me so bad because these guys are supposed to be they're supposed to be helpful and uh they're, they're just redoing the gospel coalition stuff that gave them their identity initially it's ridiculous yeah uh cuz and, and this is what they chose to put out there yeah. so again that's that video just, is captioned <laughs> because they did that and then they even put a quote box yep. of it with Owen Strand on it yep. with the same quote yeah. So this is what they, this is the foot forward that uh, I'm going to throw, I'm going to just going to name drop Josh Bice, um, Scott Annual, Virgil Walker. Mm -hmm. uh, th that's the foot forward that those people want to put out. 
uh, assuming that you know they're since they're on the board, I think I think they're all on the board or at least leadership with them. I mean, they're the faces of it. Yeah, they're the faces you... of it, and they're relatively smaller figures than the people that they bring on because I believe Ken Ham is one of the headliners at this. Yeah, I mean Paul Washer, Vody Bauckham, those are the guys they've built the G two brand on, which is more power to them. I used to John go to those McArthur conferences. And you know? stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Bice accused me of slandering. Um, I don't know who he just accused me of slander and it infuriated me. Uh, I called him and said, look, man, this, you know, that's not going to go unchallenged. Um, but he, it only was much later on a, in a tweet. He explained that what he, what he was saying I had slandered uh, via was saying that Owen was part of the G three guys. So, you know, I can criticize Owen, but I can't associate him with G three fast forward a couple weeks and this is what they're putting out on their social media. They're making memes out of it. But somehow it's slander to notice that uh, Owen is part of their team. It's ridiculous the kind of uh, corners they paint themselves into. And it's because but they're scrambling. They knew what Owen was going to say in his pre-conference going after Stephen Wolf. They knew Absolutely. he was going to do that. Hell, he had announced they, that he pivoted. I'm going to go after you know this dangerous Christian nationalism stuff. Of course they knew. Of course they knew, but it's slander to pretend like you know that they know. And not only did they know, they wanted him to do that. Let's yeah, be real. Because they had the graphics department on cue, sure. ready for his uh, woke preacher clip moment, which I don't think is, I think is going to backfire. That that clip of, you know, lecturing white people on racism is going to backfire. Well, you, and, notice they, you notice they didn't scan the crowd at G3 while he was saying that, right? What do you think the ethnic composition of Owen's home church is? or Praise Mill Baptist Church, or the people who are at G3. Now, look, I know Kofi's there. Um, there there's other guys there who are not ethnically Caucasian. But scan the room. What do you think's there? Uh, but apparently ethno, uh, ethnically uniform conferences are okay. It's just not someone saying ethnic groups are worth preserving. Yeah, I uh... So I think this this is going to look bad for them uh, moving forward. It should their attendance next year because um, I I certainly you know I'll probably make a YouTube short out of this clip um, since it's short enough and just do a quick you know response. But because this was clown show stuff Absolutely. from uh, G three and but this is what they want out there. <laughs> Uh, because they, they aren't putting the other stuff out there that can that's more substantive, to be honest. Like, I'm sure his pre conference thing is more substantive, at least in terms of content. I would uh, hope so, yeah, uh, yeah. So, and they didn't put that out there. They had a live stream on their channel, on their YouTube channel. 71,000 people, I think, are sub, sub to that, and you know, it pans to their logo during the, presumably the time that this his pre conference would have been there it pants their logo because they don't want him they didn't want that out there but they did want this out there yeah oh, they didn't david want other Mo people to be able to clip it uh, just them david morrill is in the house What's hey david let's go we might have to have him on to debate blasphemy laws maybe oh, we'll find a, yeah, i think that'd be epic david's um, a king let him do whatever <laughs> uh so and then we got another comment um New com uh Joshua Claiborne. It's the same thing when the woke use Revelation 7 9 to push ethnically diverse churches, or you aren't doing the gospel right. They do not understand the cultural divide. Hey, look, 
I have sat through years because I'm a Southern Baptist. I have been to Southern Baptist training forever. And those of us who pastored predominantly white churches were lectured without end about how our churches should look like the statistics of our community, right? If there's a certain percentage of African-Americans, Asians, X, Y, Z, that should be reflecting your church or you're failing, you're, you're, you're racist. I would watch the same people address the Korean pastors or, you know, whatever other ethnicity was present, the Hispanics, and the rhetoric switched on a dime and it said, hey, we want to help resource you to reach your people. We want to help you reach your people, reach your people, reach your people. Uh, the contrast is when you're sitting in a training meeting like that Ed Stetzer, somebody who thinks Ed Stetzer is important organizes, they don't even try to hide the hypocrisy of it, man. They don't even try. Yeah, I mean, I'm under the impression Ed Stetzer does all the church planning stuff, but has never successfully planted a church. That's exactly right. Find uh, out how many churches uh, following his model and the ones that he's been directly involved in lived more than three years. You'll be surprised. Well, and actually you won't be, but um, you'll be surprised that he maintains a role as an advisor on the subject. Yeah. And it's failing upward. And that's kind of, you know, the Owen strand in some ways. Um, I mean, he, he's the provost of, uh, was it gateway Baptist, not grace, gateway, grace, grace Baptist theological yeah. seminary, GP, TS, GBTS, um, which is a school I have a lot of hopes for, and, and a lot of uh, mall seminaries, what they used to call it. I had a lot of, I've got a mall, I've got two mall seminary t shirts in my closet because I wanted to support them. I, I wanted to root them on. I don't know why they want to make enemies out of friends. And it's interesting, you know, John Harris released his video on, um, uh, Eternal sub subordination of the sun, which is what Owen Strand is famously discredited for. And I believe in the past, I, I can't verify what my own actions on this, but I, I've come out in defense of Owen Strand on this because <laughs> I, do, I do think, hey, it's a little bit nuanced, maybe. Um, uh, and I'll get to maybe my shift in my view on that because I don't fully understand a debate. I've never, I've even had chat GPT try to answer this question. Like, cause I, I'm just, uh, I don't understand the heresy of it. Like I don't, you know, well, a little too above my head. And then Russell Fuller comes along. He explains it really well. Like, oh, you're talking about the father and the son, the Holy spirit having separate wills. Uh, well, see, that's, 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 that's the crux of it. Um, and, and so I have nothing bad to say about Russell Fuller. I'm thankful for him. Same for John Harris. But Bruce Ware, uh, Owen, they affirm one will. They've been very clear about that. And so Owen and, and Bruce Ware. Bruce Ware, you know, everybody will go after Owen. They won't go after Bruce Ware because he was the president of ETS, right? They know that guy can – he's got chops. Um, it is not my doctrine of the Trinity. I don't think it's particularly helpful, but it's within Nicene orthodoxy. And I've spent a lot of time telling people, you can say it's cringe. You can say it's bad. You can say all these critical things you can, but you can't justly call it heresy. And that's why Owen ought to know that the attacks on Stephen Wolf, uh, he ought to know how to handle those because he's been the subject of people going too far with his own positions but he won't extend the kind of charity that he's received uh, from a whole lot of people on his doctrine of the Trinity to Stephen Wolf, 
In fact, he ignores the things that Stephen Wolf has said uh, that contradict his thesis because his narrative needs it to be very simplistic. So he can turn him into a heretic. It, it's shameful, man. But apparently there is some evidence, and that was in the John Harris thing, that you know they do affirm uh, Warren Strand. I don't know about Grudem. I don't think Grudem. I mean, I, I have a copy of Systematic Theology. I, th- I thought it was... Uh, yeah, there's no, nothing about separate wills, but there is some evidence that they have taught separate wills. Uh, one of them was part of a book in which someone else wrote it, but you know, Bruce Ware was on the title. He was one of the authors, not a contributor to the book. Yeah. So that uh, that is true. That the the technical position now, the name of it is eternal functional subordination of the son. It used to be eternal subordination of the son. So I'm happy to to say the doctrine has developed, but I. I would also just, I mean, it's I'm in this weird spot where like now I'm caping up for Owen again. The fact that they wanted to move away from the the parts that made their position liable to the charge of heresy, I think is a feather in their cap. But if you want people to read what you wrote progressively, you probably ought to do the same thing for Stephen Wolf. But for some reason they won't. But Owen won't. Yeah, that's a very good way to point out the hypocrisy. Um, on Owen's part, especially when it comes to charitable reads, because you know, again, in the past, I would have said something like, Hey, um, this difference on the Trinity, which I didn't really fully understand in the debate, uh, it didn't amount, it wasn't a more pressing issue than say, Hey, you want to bring these people want to bring gay stuff into the church, yeah. or um, these people want to bring critical race theory into the church. To right. me, you know yesterday's battles being right on yesterday's battles is pretty insignificant compared to being right on today's battles. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that, you know, Trinitarian heresies aren't rampant today. I mean, look at Michael Todd, look at um, what's his face. TD Jakes is probably the most watched pastor in the United States uh, in terms of YouTube watch. And I assume he's on television as well. Um, Probably the most watched pastor in the United States. And uh, he is a modalist, so he's Trinitarian heretic. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's his face out of North Carolina uh, of Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick, mm-hmm. also pretty sloppy on the Trinity himself. So well, th- back these the... issues are still modern, sure. But usually those people don't try to nuance it with the Wayne Grudem, uh, uh, Ware and Strand position of. Uh, eternal functional subordination of the sun. Yeah. Um, they tried to develop it towards uh, clear orthodoxy, which again, I think is commendable, but man, <laughs> if you want people to read what you wrote later and not just what you wrote first, you should listen to Stephen Wolf on podcasts and read his clarifications too. Um, it's pretty it's, special and precious for you to not extend what you've been, you know, what you've received. Um, I, I do want to say, uh, let me read this uh, chat first, just to catch up. Uh, actually, David Morrill came first. Um, Nam asked church planters what their strategy would be to reach their community. If a planter answers, preach the word, they get laughed out of the building. And then Tim Miller follows it up, or not follows it up, but he says, I don't mean to brag, but people like us and these two good uh, two good men screaming are the only real Americans left. It's just true. And, you know, we're more closely aligned with the founding fathers and their vision than 
a lot of other people out there. That's for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I wish there were more of us. Yeah, but well, they're they're coming. I think people are. We're finding organization. We're gonna build social fabric and mail spaces for us to coordinate. Well, and this craziness. What what I wish I could get through to these guys is what I told the the initial woke set. Uh, and it, it's the Obama presidency has proven this right. If you call everyone racist for everything, eventually nobody cares at all. And they'll start thinking, eh, that guy was called a racist. I was called a racist. He's probably a good guy. Like I'm a good guy. And you end up pushing guys towards getting in bed with actual racists. The, the kind of rhetoric that Owen is deploying here is going to, um, it's going to lower the sting of the accusation of kinism. And the actual chemists are going to be sitting there very thankful that uh, that Owen did this for them. In fact, somebody sent me a tweet. I don't remember the guy's name, but he's he um, he is some kind of chemist. He's he's been on a podcast talking about kinism, and he said, "I am so deeply thankful for Owen Strand and all these guys because they've raised our profile in a way we never could have." And he's right. Uh, and then. Uh, along, uh, David Morrill says, uh, Stephen's conception of Christian nationalism is approached from the natural political rather than the post-mill theonomic angle. And That's it's right. interesting that the theonomy is acceptable at G3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Christian Change nationalism right is not. Yeah. I so, think Christian nationalism has far more broader appeal than theonomy. Well, okay. And, and that may be true. That may be true. I'm not trying to contradict that. But I've tried to be very clear about this. I am technically a general equity theonomist in, in my political conclusions. Coming from the London Baptist Confession of Faith, I have a strong affinity for natural law as well. But I think the Christian faith is ultimately what tells us the most, you know, gives us the clearest understanding of God's natural law. But here's what I know. Everybody who takes a position like mine is immediately going to be called a Christian nationalist. So you know what I do? Get out ahead of it. Own the label. Let's carry on. Own the label. Don't let the label own you. Right, right. Um, and and I, I just think Christian nationalism can be more customized to meet the needs of a specific nation at a specific time in ways that theonomy, you know, there's certain laws you don't get from applying general equity principles to scripture. I, I think certain laws arise of the needs of the occasion, the needs of a specific nation, just like the Levitical law. Uh, some of those laws were directly uh, you know, let's just even take Leviticus 18. Um, those were, it was denouncing the sins of the Canaanites. It didn't denounce every form of sexual degeneracy. Sure. Like, I don't sure. think there's a Bible verse on necrophilia, right. but we know that's wrong. There's not right. a Bible. I don't think there's a Bible verse specifically about pedophilia, but we know it's wrong. Um, so, well, to that point, Stephen Wolf's. Now, again, what we wrote on the statement on Christian nationalism differs from Stephen in important ways. But Stephen is the one who has presented the idea of the Christian prince in a way that applies to very different cultures and political situations. The G3 guys have misrepresented him as saying he wanted some kind of political tyrant. But the, the, the Christian prince can be the Constitution. It can be an actual uh, prince. It can be an oligarchy. It can be a whole bunch of different things. But here again, they have to make it something very simplistic so they can sell their boogeyman. 
And oh. he just uses Christian Prince because that's what the reformers use. Yes, because so he's not that creative said. in a sense. Yes. Well, and, he's so deeply grounded in the reform tradition. Right. And I think that's what kills these guys more than anything. If you read his book, you can't come away from his book saying anything other than that's what the reformers believed. And if I have some affinity or loyalty to the reformers, I can't just castigate them as racists and chemists and all these evil monsters, which is probably why these G3 guys don't want anybody reading his book. Okay. I think we're live again. Uh, and if Jeff is able to hear me, he should just refresh. I don't know what happened there. Uh, yeah, there is some issues going on with the restream tonight because uh, that's never happened on the live stream before. Not cool. They've had some issues in the past, but not like that midstream. Um, and you know what they say about you know stopping midstream. It's very hard to do. Um, but they found a way to do that and just try to disrupt the stream midstream. So anyway. Um, a lot of stuff about G3 tonight, uh, and I'm glad uh, the chat was still entertained while I was away. So it uh, looks like we got a question. Here's my question for the guys. When Christian nationalism is successful and then men screw it up, in what way do you see the whole uh, – do they see the whole thing collapsing? I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't fully understand the question. I'm trying to. Um, I guess my uh, problem in understanding the question – is how much, uh, how much did they, um, how much did the nation to stray from Christian nationalist principles? Because there's a lot of founding principles of a nation, but you know, you look at say there, there's been a lot of Christian nations um, that have implemented some form of Christian nationalism over the years, some successful, some not so successful. So the question is. Did they what led to the decline of a nation? So, uh, okay, so you mean like with Rome, Emperor Constantine, uh, the emperor turning Christian, and then it, then it eventually went horrible. But why did it eventually go horrible? Is it because of them turning and sort of, I don't want to say integrating, but obviously the emperor became an influential figure in Christianity? Like, obviously, Constantine did that. Um, I don't see Constantine as a net negative. I think he's a man of his times. Uh, he wasn't the first Christian ruler, by the way. So he wasn't the first person to, he wasn't the first instance of Christianity in the state interacting. Uh, but what caused the decline of Rome? Wasn't it a lot of, because Rome had a lot of underlying issues. If anything, Constantine was actually one of the few emperors that forestalled the decline of Rome, because Rome was kind of on the decline ever since um, Commodus, uh, Emperor Commodus would have probably been the start of the decline of Rome. But even then, you got other Christian nations, like if you look at the Eastern Romans, who persisted for a thousand years after the sacking of Rome, um, they, uh, they persisted a thousand years, and they had a lot of rebuilding years. Uh, it looks like I got backup coming in, but no video feed yet. Because, uh, you know, I didn't want to kick Jeff off. I just think he got kicked off when we refreshed the stream. stream. So uh, the British Empire, I, I think, is one of the be better examples of Christian nationalism. They were kind of a, a Christian nation. Uh, and they did advance the gospel to all the four corners of the earth. You know, the corners of Australia and 
the northwest corner of the earth, so the Alaska area. I believe they also colonized the Falkland Islands and maybe somewhere west of that. So, you know, some of these corners of earth were done because of, you know, the British Empire and how the gospel was able to flourish under the, the infrastructure of their conquests. So, and then in 1945, the British Empire completely abandons these principles whole cloth. Like, I'm sure there's some signs of decline ahead of time, but that's when you see a lot of that, uh, it, you know, they embrace socialism whole cloth and, you know, they achieved what the crusaders could never do. And that's, you know, they took over the Holy land, uh, from the Muslims and then they turn it over and end the British mandate. I just don't. So a lot of unbiblical rule for the UK in the late forties. Uh, and then the United States is soon followed. Although I would, I would think that, you know, during the Eisenhower administration, cause he might've been the I don't know much about Ronald Reagan's faith, but it seems like uh, Dwight Eisenhower was a genuine Christian uh, and president of the United States. So I see that. I'm not sure when the decline of the United States starts because there's a lot of different answers to that. But it doesn't. Oh, here we go. Jeff is back. How are you doing? I'm trying to hold down the fort. Uh, so welcome back. Uh, you got anything to add on, uh, we had a question about, uh, I guess when, what happens when a Christian nation sort of fails and is on the decline and stuff like that. And I don't think that invalidates Christian nationalism so much as it invalidates the ideologies in which a nation that turns from Christian to not Christian embraces. So those are some of my thoughts. And Man, I can't hear nothing. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I know Reagan came to faith later, which makes me believe it was legit. Uh, let me know if I can hear you, Jeff. Are you able to hear me? That seems like a no. Uh, so any more questions? All righty. Uh, okay. Well, I haven't said anything. Okay. So anyway, I, I think we've kind of wrapped up. Last call for questions. I'm going to do my spiel. Uh, Jeff can be found at uh at merely jeff Wright twitter that it is linked in the description i was a gentleman and had it ready this time uh he's also he also does a couple podcasts i believe uh he's part of the sbc underground active contributor there uh i think he mentioned the backwoods uh baptist podcast i think you said or backwoods bible podcast uh And then uh, he, he does that. So I think we've covered uh, 
a lot of the topics we wanted to do. I, I also say that Evangelical Dark Web, Christian News Gathering and Commentary Ministry, we're just commenting on this tonight uh, because it's newsworthy. G3 Conference is a major conference. It might be the biggest conference in town as far as, you know, all these competing ministries go. And I think the, G the Gospel Coalition might be on the decline. Uh, but in any case, the, you know, it's major news. The SBC is a major organization. It's major news. So Jeff, I think, is very good to talk about each, each of these things. Glad to have had him on tonight. Uh, and you can support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. But the least you can do is like this video, subscribe to the channel, to the podcast, if you are new. And we'll catch you on the next live stream. The next live stream will be a call-in show um about the 2024 primary there's going to be a debate next wednesday so we're going to be breaking that down next thursday that should be a call-in show so if you're a supporter of the evangelical dark web you can come on and you know air your grievances so anyway have a blessed day we will catch you on the next one